Hey, good morning. Uh, I want to start our time uh, praying for two things. One, there's like a, a, a giant vortex right here, and that's because we have 110 high school students and leaders up at winter camp right now. And so I want us to, to pray. Um, many of you have been to camp as a counselor or a student sometime in your life, and you know last night at camp can be a really special time, and, and uh, I'm leaving right after this service. I'm, I'm driving up the mountain to be with them uh, for today and tonight. And so I want, to, I want us to pray for them. I want you to get a chance to pray for our students. But, but one of the things sometimes I think is important, particularly for us in the church, we can get very localized. We can kind of just see our little world and we forget the bigger things that are going on. And I, I think it would be, I, I think we'd miss an opportunity to pray for our high school students and not pray uh, for the high school students down in South Florida and the families uh, that had to deal with this tragedy this last week. And as you we continue to see these things happen, and, and we, we search and pray and say, Lord, let me just say this. You're gonna, I'm going to invite you to pray for them, and many of you are going to feel like, I don't even know what to pray. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to even, what do you say in this, and what do you ask God for in this? And I want to give you the comfort of this, that uh, the, the scriptures say this, that, that in these times that the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. You may not quite know what to say, but the Spirit knows how to take what what jumbled mess we're going to throw up and knows how to present it in a way. And so I want uh, us to take about 45 seconds. Would you pray for our students for tonight, a special night, and just really being drawn into God's presence? Um, but would you pray for those families? Would you pray for those students as they try to make sense of it, of it all uh, this week and, and as God tries to, to uh, interact in our country and in uh, this moment? So let's pray. So, Lord, we just ask that you would hear, hear these prayers in a way that uh, draws, uh, just as something special in the lives of our students today and tonight. Uh, we pray, uh, particularly for our leaders, uh, we, I'm sure they're exhausted uh, after a couple days already. Uh, but, Lord, would you renew their strength as they continue to love our students and, and draw them into your presence and, uh, and your life for them. And, and Lord, we are... Uh, we are with everyone else who just say, Lord, how long uh, we pray. We, we know you are patient. You don't want anyone to perish, but we, we wonder how long uh, we will deal with this kind of evil in our world. And, and so even as we see in this psalm, uh, we, we uh, find ourselves uh, just falling into your presence and saying, uh, we, don't, we don't love this any more than you do. Uh, but we pray for deliverance for this. We pray for blessing for these uh, students and for these families. Lord, we, don't even, we wouldn't even know what to say to them other than that we want to uh, mourn with those who are mourning and, and be there with them. And so we pray for the churches that are trying so hard to be present in their life. Lord, may they have uh, just clarity from you as to how to best care. And so we lift all these things to you, our ever-present God. Amen. Well, we are in week seven of a series we're doing called Elevate Your Life. If you'd like to take notes today, um, it's on page 86 of the guidebook we gave you. 
And so this guidebook, if you're new with us, they're available out in the lobby. We have this week and the next week. But uh, what a lot of people are finding, even if you come in late to this, we have all the resources online on our website. Um, but you may want to grab one of these, uh, too, if you're having a good experience. Some people are grabbing these and they're using them to minister to the people that they have in their lives and kind of walk through uh, things with them. But the, the idea of this, of this series is training us to flip the script, to move from this place of assembly line life where we kind of design and manufacture our life. And at the very end, we ask God to kind of inspect it, to rubber stamp it, or maybe he'll just add a little pizzazz of his own to our plan and instead say, no, 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 we want you to be at the very beginning. You dream it up. You think about it. Where do you want to go? With, uh, how, where, do we get, where are we going together? I want to l- learn to listen to you and be designed. I know you've designed me, but, but what do you want to do in, in my life uh, at this time? And so it's, a, it's an important part of, of training. I, I look at one of the things I, I love about this season right now, this past week, is it's spring is coming. And, uh, and spring training started this week. I'm a huge baseball fan. I just got super giddy uh, uh, this week. And, but what spring training is for baseball fans is it's where they work on fundamentals for about eight weeks and then they go to the season because there's no time in the season really to practice. It's you practice all these things so that it become kind of your instinct when the game happens. And this is in part what we've been doing for eight weeks, a, a training to, to say just we're trying to work these rhythms into our life of time with God, of time, a, a discipline of being here together, and, and, a, and a discipline of being with a group of people that want to grow uh, in Christ-likeness just like ourselves. And so learning from each other and, and being together, all these things are, are important things. So all of this development, though, I, I think what's key to this is it's really only going to work if it's built on relationship. Uh, the relationships we have with each other, but most importantly, the relationship we have with God. And so one of the things that you will see in life, if you pay attention, is there are key relational moments in your life where you realize, wow, things really changed right here. Uh, I can think back to 27 years ago, uh, almost 27 years ago, Kim and I were, were newly married. We came back from our honeymoon. I showed up, I was working in the youth ministry here. I showed up to the youth group, youth group finished and at the end of youth group, just like I had done all my single life working with them, the students said, hey, we're going over, playing these games, uh, come with us. And I said, all right, yeah, I'm, I'm just about ready to jump in the car. And I remember, wait a second, I have a wife at home. And I had to like, I, I had no muscle memory for it. So I said, wait a second, let me, let me go call my wife. And of course, what are a bunch of high school kids going to say? Oh, you know, they're just like making fun. I'm like, guys, I, you know, like, I got to figure this out. Give me a break. And so... Uh, so I can remember that really changed it. I can remember when Andrew was born uh, 23 years ago, that here's our first child. And it was, I don't know how to describe it. It was theoretical to me, I guess is the best way to describe it. I knew something was happening to my wife's baby. I knew we were having a baby, but I didn't quite get it until I saw him. When he came out, I was like, no way, we're having a kid. Like we'd been talking about having a kid, Ned, for you know nine nine months, but that was the first time I really got it. And so uh, at least in our experience, uh, they took Andrew, they placed him on, on Kim's chest. She had a moment with him and then they swooped him away. They swaddle, you know, they do all this stuff and they lay him in this, uh, warming tray while they're tending to Kim. And it's just me and him for this moment. And I, I, I can, I just remember it. And I remember, uh, reaching my hand in and he grabs a hold of my finger 
And my mom actually was kind of standing back, taking photos of this to kind of use it against me, I think, or something in the future. But, but I love this photo I have because I remember in that moment thinking, oh, wow, everything's changed. Like, I just, I can't think and do life like I did it before. It's so different now. And so there is these moments, these relational moments where you realize things in life have radically changed. Now, I would say for me, one of the things that's really helped me I think that's changed the way that I've approached uh, fatherhood. One of the things that, that has changed, the most dynamic thing that's changed the way I've, I've approached marriage has been my relationship with God. It has been, there was this moment in my life with God where, where uh, everything really changed. So when I started, I didn't grow up in church. So when I was invited to come to the church, I had a perception of how church worked. That this was a place that you came to where, where people behaved a certain way. We had, the people here had decided we're going to behave a certain way because we think it's a better way to do it. It's better for society and it's better for us. And so that's the way I, I uh, envisioned it. And, and the reason why people behave this way is because we hold to a certain set of beliefs. And if you, if you behave a certain way and you're willing to hold to these beliefs, then you can belong here. Then you can be a part of it. And so that's how I went in. Now, my experience was quite different. Let me be clear. When I came here, I discovered that that's not what they taught, and it certainly was not what they practiced, that it was a completely different experience. In fact, right away, what I found was I was invited to belong from the very beginning, that there was this, there was this sense of, of people wanting me here and caring about me, even though they didn't really know me. They certainly did not know the depth of all the kind of crazy that was going on in our home, but that didn't matter. They wanted me here. They cared about me. And, and what I began to experience was whether or not I held to these beliefs, that still was important. It was still important that I was here. And so uh, beyond that, what I started to see was something different, that they, the people here held to good news. They, they believed something had happened, and they wanted to share this good news. And they wanted to share it with me, not coerce me, but because they felt like if I heard these things, it would change me. And I will tell you, I don't know how to explain it other than the way the Bible explains it sometimes. So there's, there's moments in the Bible where people are hearing about what Jesus did, and it says that they were cut to the heart, uh, or that times of refreshing came to them. Like, I, that's the best way to describe my experience of hearing about Jesus and hearing about what he did, was that something moved in my heart, something that drew me to him. And so I began to hold to these things as well. And then I began to understand something, that they did behave differently. But they behaved differently because they, they believed that something was happening. They believed that, that uh, by living this way, not to, to, to earn God's love, but because they had been loved and because by living this way they could honor God and they could really change the world. And so what I began to understand was my initial understanding was this that it, it looks something like this, behave, believe, belong. That's the way I saw it in my head. But what I came to experience here was this, that they, they turned it upside down, or I would maybe say right side up, that it switched, that it, it, it became belong, and then believe, and then behave, that it came out of in, in that way. And I wonder if some of you have had the same experience. On the one hand, maybe you're here and you're thinking, because let me say this, if, if, if you have this upside down, if it's all about behavior, if what drives you is behavior, 
I, let me just say this, be absolutely honest with you. You will not last in the church and you certainly will not last in faith. If, if the idea of the Christian faith is a behavior, behavior modification, I promise you, this will, it will not last. You will, when you, so whoever's bringing you finally lets go of their grip, you will, you'll be gone. Okay. So if you're being coerced to be here because you think it's about behavior, you're being here, some, something to be here. It, it feels like a countdown, doesn't it? You're like 40 more minutes, 30 more minutes, 20 more minutes. Oh no, the pastor just said he's almost done, which means now add 20 minutes. And so you're, you're doing that math and your stomach's growling. You're like, how we ever, you, and, and especially our young people, if you make, if, if we make faith for our young people about behavior modification, I promise you, they will not stay with it. But my sense is, and maybe you even sense it in these beginning moments, that there are people here, maybe you notice, that like me, it has changed for them. There's something different. They don't feel coerced here at all. They feel drawn here. And, and they seem engaged in the experience. And there's something burning inside of them. That you, you can tell there's something that even makes you somewhat curious. Why are they so engaged and I'm not? And I want to I help you see that because I, I think maybe some of you, maybe some of you can remember when it all changed for you too, where it went from kind of this, kind of doing these things, a sense of duty to a relationship with God. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to give you a, a, another principle of, as we've been talking about, what does it look like to elevate your life, for God to elevate your life? And so I want to give you a seventh principle for us. It's our big idea today that you'll see in the passage. But the big idea today is this, that to elevate your life, draw near to the God who draws near to you. Draw near to the God who draws near to you. So, you know, we were struggling with this idea as a team, like elevate his presence. And one of the things you're going to see in this passage is you, you, can't, you can't elevate his presence in, in the sense of what God is going to do. Because as you're going to see, it's about as elevated as it can be. It can't be lifted up anymore. But there is something that we can say to ourselves of, God has chosen to be present in my life. In fact, this, even these words comes from a promise in Scripture from the book of James that if you, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. And, and there's this kind of reciprocal sense. What you're going to find is this, that you drawing near to God does not signal a, a signal in the sky that makes him run out of heaven and come near you. He's just already there. You will experience it. You will encounter him when you choose to to open yourself up and elevate his presence in your life. And that's the invitation for you today. So if you're skeptical or not, let me invite you to look at Psalm 139 with us and you can make a decision for yourself. Psalm 139, it's found on page 621. The Bible's in front of you if you want to you follow along. But this is, a, this is a very interesting psalm. So let me give you a couple warnings. Number one, it brings up some, some huge parts of God's Maybe we could say his godness. Um, things about him, they, they, uh, theologians will call it the, the, you know, the omnis of God. He's omnipresent. He's, he's ever-present. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. All of these ideas are in this one passage. Okay, But it's also going to bring up questions for some of you who just, it just, this stuff is so thrilling. You would love to sit all day with your, your, your latte and maybe your pipe, or I don't know what you're going to do, but you love to just throw questions around and just think till 
till uh, uh, the nighttime comes and talk about this stuff. But others of you are going to see these things and you're going to start feeling the natural questions that come from this, a passage like this. And you're going to want to uh, suck your thumb and get in the fetal position because like, the questions are too big. Like, what does this mean? Like, ah, it's okay. It's okay. Because even David's going to say, this is too wonderful for me. This is too big for me to even kind of get my hands around. So he's going to get his hands around as much of it as he can. And we will as well. But I also want to give you this warning in the passage that it, it is highly poetic and beautiful and then just takes a sudden turn that you're like, I feel like somewhere a scribe got two passages mixed up. Like it changes direction so fast that you're wondering why it does what it does. And let me give you a little context. You're going to see a moment where he, he comes to this whole thing. It's this whole idea of God searching him. He can't, he can't hide from God. But he gets to this moment and we sense maybe why he's praying this. That, that he sees the wickedness in the world and he agrees with God, I am against it as you are. That, that these peop- th- th- this, this wickedness that exists, that it has no part with you and I'm with you. Uh, but you're going to see that there's perhaps some of it that maybe even is targeted to him. Some scholars have looked at this and said, it seems that maybe there's a threat to David. There's accusations against him. And so he's gone to God to say, you know me best, so you search my heart. And so let's jump in. Let's look at this. We'll start with verses 1 to 6. There's three things I want you to see this morning that, that help us see something about this God who we are invited to draw near to and why we should do it. And so we start with these words. It says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue... You, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. So let's stop there for a moment. Why draw near to the God who draws near to you? Well, the first thing is this. God knows you inside and out. God knows you inside and out. So maybe you have noticed a little something. You notice that, that David is addressing God. He's addressing God more than he's addressing us. And there's a sense where you even feel like you are drawn into this prayer that he is praying. Uh, but one of the things that we see is he knows, Lord, you know me inside and out. And this word know and search that, that it begins with, uh, seven times in the passage comes up, but four times in just those six verses that we are looking at, four different times, you know me, you search me, this idea. And, and the idea is not just this kind of base knowledge, but the idea instead is the idea of like a detective, like getting under the surface and really knowing the details, really knowing things about uh, him. And so he's able to say, the, you know these things about me. And so on the one hand, what we see is there's this sense of the expansiveness of God's knowledge, but then you also see something else. You see how personal that knowledge is. He uses, if you look at the passage, you'll notice there's a lot of I and you language. The pronouns are, I I know this about you, and you know this about me, and there's this kind of give and take, and and it's very intimate, very personal. And you almost get the sense, he says, that you you know, you anticipate my moves. You know what I'm going to do, really, even before I do. And I don't know what David's poker tell was, but but somehow he, he he could admit you know my tell. You, you, I give myself away and you know me. You know, you anticipate my moves. I, 
I was struck by this. I thought, I, you know, with my staff and our staff meetings, um, they have tells, and they're going to be really disturbed when they hear this sermon because they have, they have their own little tells, and I can tell if they are following me or they are not. And so usually it's in the eyes. I, I sense it in the eyes. And so I can look at and we can say something or someone says something, and I read their eyes, and when I see their eyes roll, to, and in them, they think it's just happening in themselves. I see it. I'm like, okay, this person is not tracking. But when I see someone's eyes start getting bigger and they're leaning forward more and more to me, I realize, oh, this person's in, they get it. And so I, I'm a little worried that our, our staff meeting on Tuesday, it's going to be like, you know, poker face with the, with the hood. They're all going to come with hoods and sunglasses and kind of, you know, that, that kind of look like I, I'm not giving away if I'm on board or not. But David reveals this. Look, you know me better than I know myself. He senses, look, notice what he says. Uh, God had said this about Israel at one point in the book of Isaiah. He says, before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. And he, you have the sense, and this, of course, this is where you start getting into a lot of those big questions. How does this work? And we sense there's part of this, I think, that, that's so beautiful is he says, you know me so well, you anticipate my every move. But notice here's the second thing I want us to see. It starts in verse 7. It says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. Here's the second thing I want to encourage you if you want to write something down. Why do we draw near to him? Because he is present in your coming and going. God is present in your coming and going. And David has a sense, he knows this, that he has been surrounded by God, that there's nowhere he goes in which he does not encounter the presence of God. And that God is directing him, navigating him. It's more than just this kind of general sense of, of, of presence. But notice what he's saying. He's saying, your hand is with me and you guide me. That God is not this heavenly spectator, but he's an active guide, present, active, attentive. Even when he feels, if, in the sense of this whole thing, here's David feeling this sense of threat and saying, even when I feel threat, you are present with me. And then I love in verse 11 and 12, I think this is so valuable to us. Notice again in verses 11 and 12 that, that he's saying, even when I'm, I'm surrounded by darkness, you're there and you see me. You see me in the darkness because for you in dark, darkness is like light for you. Darkness is not a threat to you. But when I feel sur even surrounded by darkness, you are in the midst of that with me. Darkness is, is, a, is a challenging thing, right? Because we feel very powerless when we feel like our life is in darkness. Uh, just Monday, I was walking our dog. We have a, we have a big uh, golden retriever, uh, a sweet dog. And so I, it was kind of late when I took him on the walk. So I went over to the school and there's nobody there. So I take him off his leash and we're, we're walking around. We're praying and chasing birds. I'm praying, he's chasing birds. And, and we're just kind of doing laps around and we're on our final lap, and he's kind of slowed down now, and he's just kind of trotting with me. And we come around this corner, and it is pitch black. Like, I mean, you cannot see a thing where I'm at, uh, other than I feel like I'm, you know, just out in the nowhere, just the stars. As we turn this corner, all of a sudden, 
boom, he just takes off after something. And I, I can't see what it is. I have no idea what it is, but it's not chirping. And so I know it's not birds. And I'm like, what in the world? What is he after? And what is out here with us? Like, I, I cannot see. I can't discern anything that's going on. And so I'm just kind of moving in the darkness, kind of fit, going my pattern. Finally, I get to a spot where there's enough backlight that I can see his silhouette. And he's just kind of stopped tongue out, just the happiest dog in the world, kind of sitting there. And I'm like, okay, Maverick, come on over here. And as he comes, I see a second silhouette moving kind of towards us as well. And I'm like, okay, Maverick, let's get going. And I'm kind of like going and I'm like, what? I'm looking and in the darkness, I cannot see what it is. It's about his size, a little bit smaller. And so I'm, I'm moving and all of a sudden I'm moving and it's still coming. It's coming closer. It's kind of closing the gap from 50 feet to 40 feet to 30 feet and kind of keeping about a 30 feet. And so now I've turned around and I'm going backwards. I'm moonwalking just to make, you know, make sure I can kind of see where he is the whole time, all the way back to the car, get back to the car, kind of like rush through the gate, get in the car, take off. And so my heart's racing a little bit. I come back in because I, I, to my knowledge, I don't remember being stalked by anything uh, ever. And so I come back and I tell Kim, I said, she says, oh, how was the walk? I said, it was a little creepy this time. I said, I, I'm pretty sure we were being like stalked by a coyote. And she goes, where were you at? I, I told her where we were at. She goes, no, you were being stalked by two coyotes. You just didn't see the other one. I'm like, oh, great. Thanks. That just like makes me feel a ton better. But I remember thinking, you know, I was, I'm, I'm stuck in this sense of darkness creates so much anxiety in our life, doesn't it? When you just can't see and your imagination kind of goes. And he says, even in the darkness, you are there. Kenneth Wilson, in his book, uh, Have Faith Without Fear, he talks about being a, a young child and he grew up uh, before, as a young kid, his home uh, was on the outside of, of Pittsburgh and it was this three-story home. It's before electricity, so they only have these gas lamps. And he said, I was the youngest uh, in my family. And the challenge in our family was because we, we didn't have a lot of money, we rented out the second floor just to help make ends meet. So at the end of the night, when it was time to go to bed, I was the youngest, which means I went to bed first. And they took me all the way up. My dad would take me all the way up. And it felt like I'm walking to the end of the earth. He put me in this, this last bedroom on the, on the third floor. And we'd do our little nighttime routine. Then he would turn off the, the gas lamp. He'd shut the door and I'd hear his feet just walking down the steps, getting fainter and fainter and fainter until there was no sound except the sound of this old creaking house, the wind blowing, the house creaking. And all I could hear was this house in my imagination. And he said it was just so hard as a young child to figure out how to fall asleep and be peaceful about falling asleep. So he writes, he says, I remember once when my father said to me, he said, would you rather I leave the light on and go downstairs or turn the light out and stay with you for a while. He writes, I chose presence with darkness over absence with light. And I love that thought. I mean, isn't that what we want with God? Presence in darkness. Just that sense of knowing, that assurance that someone, even in the darkness, is there with us. One last thing to see. Why do we draw near to him? Uh, we see it starting in verse 13. He says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. 
All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Here's one last thing I want you to see, and it's this, is that God is your architect. God is your architect. This has been what this series has been about. It's about, it's about the flip. It's about seeing, and we, we're seeing this kind of clearly now, more and more, especially in a passage like this, that God is your designer. That, that the, the creative design that goes into us that we see from the very beginning, he has been involved in your life. He uses words like, you created me, you knit me together. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And, and what we begin to see, much like, a, like an art, uh, architect, is, is not just pure uh, practical stuff, but you see, I mean, one of the things I love working with our architect on, on Daring Faith is you see the creativity that comes out because the words that he is beginning to use here are more than God as creator, but God as artist. And he's looking at this idea, these ideas of this, of this creative process that went in even from the very beginning. This is why in some ways you see for us as Christians, we are so protective of the unborn because we see this work, this creative work of God that begins in the womb, begins at conception, that this whole thing is at work. And he describes this. Now think about this. Think about, um, think about a piece of art that you just love. Think about like maybe even a song we sung today or a song you love, a great song. And what it took to make that song. You know, it starts with an idea. You scribble it on a page or maybe a melody. But then think of all the layers of, of writing and rewriting and, and all the things that come together layer after layer after layer to put it all together. And when you hear it, like you, you close your eyes and you savor it, you take it in, that the way it just speaks into your heart, into your soul. Or a great movie or amazing book. Or when you see a painting or a sculpture or something that takes your breath away and you think, how did that person even conceive of this and create this? But also all the time and precision that went into making something so special. Now, if you think it's easy to write a song, I encourage you, go home today, write, write the next great song. Now, you might be able to make a pop song. That might work. But most, if you try to make a great song, like, you try it. it, it it's not going to be an easy thing. Paint a masterpiece. It's not something easily done. And so there's something at work here that, that he gets at. And as he gets at this, this thing, he also talks about this unique way in which God is working, that he's ordained your life, that there's this design to your life, that in the same way you think of your fingerprint, so you have a unique fingerprint uh, that, that identifies you, you see in this passage that he's also saying you have a unique soul print. There's something about his creative work in you that I think it's fair to say this, that there never has been and there never will be someone quite like you in this world. That the precision that went into it, the artistic design that went into making you who you are, so that when he says that your days are ordained, I don't think it means that every day has already been figured out for you, but that there is this design and purpose that when you live in that, that there's something about you that comes very, very alive. Even David, it's interesting as you look at David, the end of David's life who's writing this is described this way in the book of Acts when Apostle Paul was doing one of his first sermons. He said this, that when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. 
he, he, when he, David knew that when he was living God's purpose, there was something right and good that was happening in the world, that, that when he deviated from that, that he was missing on God's good purposes for him. And so he knew, he knew that even in his darkest times, this was the one he could count on. God was the one he could draw near to. And why was it so significant? Well, here's where it gets a little crazy here. Uh, verse, eight, uh, verse 19, If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them as my enemies. You see the anxiousness he has about wicked people, about the sense that here are these people that are after him, uh, the sense that, that uh, all these things that he feels. But he knows this, that God, has been, that God is present, that God knows him, that God has the power to be with him, even in the darkness. And so in the midst of it, he says, look, I, just like you, I don't want anything to do with evil, and I don't want anything to do with evil people. And then he does this, as I think you and I have to do as well. He goes, wait a minute, before I point the finger at everyone else, notice what he says next in verse 23. Search me, God, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. All of a sudden, David's gone from those people to, whoa, what if it's me? What if it is me? What if I am one of those? What if these accusations are true and this is true of me? And, and he enters into this prayer. But I love why he does this. Why does he do it? Because he has been drawn into a God he knows knows him and walks with him and cares for him and has power in his life over even the darkness. So this morning we've been inviting you to this idea or helping you at least see there's, there's something to, to elevate your life. You draw near to this God who has drawn near to you. And so here's the response. Rather than just kind of give you a question to reflect on, I want to I give you a call. I want to give you a challenge, and that is this, to draw near to the God who draws near to you, to, to hear this and to see in some ways as this psalm has been moving, there's this movement in this psalm, more than just observations to saying, okay, God, he comes very close and says, I'm wide open. You've got to show me. Show me which parts of me are offensive to you. Show me what parts of me are making me anxious and make you, make you anxious. And show me the way that leads to life. I mean, this is very, very intimate language that I want to invite you into as well. And I want to say this. If you have never drawn near to him before, that this morning... Open your heart to this. Open your heart to him. You can do this church thing and just keep doing the, 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 the stuff, but I promise you it will be, it's just going to be unfulfilling. It is, you, are, you are satisfied with the wrapper instead of the real, the real goodness that's inside. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. And so I want to encourage you. For those of us who have made that commitment, I would just simply encourage you with this. One of the things that we've tried to do during this, this season with this book and with this series is just help you build a rhythm. And you're wondering, how do I do this? Well, some of these practices, and, and, and there are different practices that Christians have practiced over the years, but we've seen that some of these practices are so valuable to growth 
to, to set aside time to be, to be listening to Scripture and to listen to God's voice, to carve out a part of your life and say, in, in each day and say, Lord, I want to hear your voice and I want you to lead me in the way that's everlasting. So direct me today uh, and listen to him, whether it's in the beginning of the day or the end of the day, or as the Psalm 1 says, day and night. That there's something so good about our commitment to be together here every week that when we come together, there's something quite special that we can't experience really on our own. But also there's something quite valuable when we find some other people that are serious about this as well and say, I want to grow with you. I will help you, but I need you to help me. These things draw us into the presence of God and his voice in our life. And so I want to encourage us as we close this time, uh, I want to put these verses back on the screen. And I want to encourage you to pray this as well. It takes courage to pray this. This is, this is an attempt to draw near to God. But to say to God as authentically as you can, these same words, search me, God, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, see if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Ask these questions. Lord, what's making me anxious? What in me is offensive to you? And how do you want to lead me right now? And so let's bow together. Let's pray. In just a moment, the band will lead us.